Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This last week on Friday, uh, Teresa and I and uh, Emily and Chris and their kids, we went down to uh, Stan Sayers uh, Hydroplane Pits um, uh, to enjoy a little bit of the festivities, got to see a little bit of the boats run, and then, of course, uh, the big show this time of year is the Blue Angels, right? That's a big, big deal, you know, in Seattle. They weren't here last year, and it was quite a disappointment for a lot of people, and they're back this year. When you watch the Blue Angels, and, they, and watch that show, and I've seen it several times, uh, it's really amazing. When you think of the teamwork that takes place to fly six of those uh, jets, I believe they're Boeing-made jets, if I'm not mistaken, um, those F-18s, to fly those at the speed they fly them, and the maneuvers they do, although some of the maneuvers are very slow, almost standing still, going up like this. And uh, it's really an amazing thing. And you really, you really appreciate it, you know, when you're sitting there on the shore like we were, and all of a sudden they fly over your head. And, of course, by the time the sound gets to you, it's almost deafening, they're out in front of you, you know. And, and, and everybody just jumped kind of, you know, when they came from behind us and flew right over. One, one plane did. One plane. And you realize, of course, at that point, how much power, how much um, technicalities involved in these machines and how much skill there is in flying those. It's one thing to see them way up there doing these maneuvers. But when they come right over your head and you realize the skill it takes to fly these planes as close as they fly them, the maneuvers they do, um, I, it just amazes me. And you think of the teamwork and the brotherhood of those pilots that uh, travel together and train together and fly together. Uh, and and uh, it just, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a marvel to me of teamwork and working together. And as we come to 1 Peter chapter 3 today, and we're going to look at uh, the section um, in verse 8 on, uh, through about verse 16 or 17. I want us to consider today the importance of teamwork, of cooperation, of brotherhood, if you will, of family as the family of God and the importance that plays in our lives and in our ministry. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer as we open God's Word today. Heavenly Father, as we do open your Word, and we do pray that our hearts would be open to your Word, uh, your words would be heard, Lord, we would be sensitive to them, and uh, Lord, we would uh, meditate and contemplate on them. And then as we walk with you this week, that they will find a place in our lives as we share the gospel, as we share your love, and we walk in faith with you. And so I pray this in our Savior's wonderful name. Again, we never take for granted uh, that we can pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who died for us. Amen. Now, in 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 8, you'll notice that the, the NIV it begins the word, finally. Well, this isn't really the conclusion of the epistle, okay? Um, you might think it's kind of like a pastor, right? When he's, yeah, quit laughing. <laughs> Finally, what does that mean, you know? Um, and uh, as Wilson Fossey would say, it means absolutely nothing. He reminded me many times, you know. 
Finally, but it's, 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 it's the final application in this very important part, and, and really the heart of this goes back to the previous chapter when he was talking about um, suffering for the Lord and uh, living as an example and remembering how, how Christ suffered in verse 21 of chapter 2, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And that's really the controlling um, statement for this section here, even of the family, the household codes, the, 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 the community and life together. And so that really controls this. And so that is why we come to this in verse 8, and he says, finally, he's going to wrap up some of these thoughts now connected to that theme. And he says this, finally, all of you. Now this, he's talking to believers in Jesus Christ, people who have placed their faith in Christ. They have received Christ for their salvation. They've been saved by the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Uh, We've mentioned as we've studied this, the importance Peter had as the apostle to the Jews as the Apostle Paul had, had reminded us in Galatian that he was called to the Gentile world and Paul and Peter uh, was specifically uh, given this task of bringing this, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, although they, neither one were exclusive in those, in those realms. But we do know that there is a lot of Jewish flavor to this epistle and it begins with the diaspora, this word they would have been familiar with, scattered around uh, the world, particularly Asia Minor and up into Rome and uh, Greece. And, and as this has that flavor, and that's why the Old Testament quotes and some of the language is so important to them, and they would really grasp right away. And he says to these believers in Jesus Christ, who, who have accepted Christ as their Savior, and he says, finally, all of you, he's, he's talking to them. He's talking to those who received this epistle, and this epistle was not written necessarily to a specific church. Um, it may have been, but it was circular. It made its way around to various, to various groups and churches. And I want you to notice what he tells them. And this is, very, this is a very common theme you'll find in Paul's epistles too. Some of the common themes of both these men in their specific ministries, you're going to find some very commonality uh, in terms of the themes, and you'll almost word for word we'll see today some of them. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now I want us to take this section first this morning. We're going to have three, three sections we're going to look at in this passage here. But I want you to remember the context. Finally, all of you those who claim to be Christians, those who have accepted Christ as your Savior and you claim to be a Christian, here's how you should live. And I want to, I want to draw attention especially to the, to the, um, to the, to the second one, to, to love as brothers. Because I think this is, the, this is the key thought here. And this is, of course, the word um, Philadelphia, you know, city of brotherly love. It's, it's this word here. And, of course, it includes sisters, you know, brothers and sisters. It includes everyone. And he, and he says, you are to live like family. And, and, and the believers in Jesus Christ, those who claim to be Christ ones, Christians, one of the things that, that, that should be characteristic of them and of us is that there should be a kinship and a relationship like there should be in your own families. In your own families. We are family. These people were 
family. And, and we've already looked at it. Some of these were servants and slaves. Some were husbands and wives whose husbands and wives had not come along to Christ. And there's this, this mixed group, and they're, and they're male and female. And there's, there's rich and there's poor. Um, and, and they come together, and he says, and, and you know, I, think of the, I think of the dynamics in these. Can you imagine the dynamics when, when you go home and you've got a master and a servant, or even a slave? And you come to the fellowship, and they probably met in the evening because Sunday was a working day in the Roman world. And they come together, and they meet together, and they sit down, and they share the, the cup and the bread together. They share communion. They share in the word. Uh, we believe they began to worship. Um, much of what we do today, they, they, they sang hymns and songs. They read from the word. Somebody taught the word. Um, it was really patterned after what the, the synagogue service, in a sense, was around the word and around worship and around the psalms. And they began to write their own Christian hymns and psalms. And as they sit down together, all of a sudden, these people that in their household are master and servant are now brother and sister on equal basis. I mean, I, I've thought about what if What if one of the servants, what if one of the slaves was called to be an, an elder or teacher in the church? And his master is sitting under his teaching. I mean, think of the, 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 how, this, how this changed their world. And they come together and he says, listen, you are a brotherhood. You are a family. And I want you to think this, keep this in mind as we look at this first section here, that they are to live as brothers. And friends, we are to live as brothers and sisters today. We are a family. We are not perfect. And as we look at this and as I make some suggestions and application to this, there may be somebody here today who might be a visitor, and they might think, oh boy, this church must have problems because Pastor, Pastor Jim's talking about the need to do this and this. No, we're just a church like every other church. We're just people. And uh, the fact that we're people, the fact that we're human, the fact that we have our, our, uh, our human weaknesses and our tendencies, and the fact that Satan would love to divide the church and, and, and cause problems, these are important things for every church, and they're important for us. And so he says, listen, all of you, finally, I want you to live in harmony, verse 8. Live in harmony with one another. And that's a good word. I mean, think of even the, as we sang this morning and some of the songs that you know that you harmonize and you sing different parts. I'm not as particularly adept at it as some of you are. In fact, I found myself singing when the women were supposed to be singing this morning because I wasn't paying attention. And I thought, hey, I'm... Craig's not singing, and Mike, Mike's not singing. How come I'm singing? So, um, but you, we, we harmonize, you know, and, and, and harmony sounds good. It, it blends together, and it works together. And you, can, and you can tell when it's working, and you can tell when someone's out of harmony, can't you? And, and he says, you should be working together in harmony. And that means that we have different parts, and we have different responsibilities. As, as Paul talks about the spiritual gifts that are given to the believers in the church, that we, we bring these together and, and we harmonize. This should characterize our life together. And then he says, as we've already talked about, well, the next one, I want you to notice, he says, be sympathetic to one another. Be sympathetic to one another. Be empathetic. You know, and remember, we're talking about the household of believers here. We're talking about Christians, that we should live in harmony we should be sympathetic to one another. When we have challenges and difficulties, when, when someone is struggling, and it may be with a, a financial situation, a relationship, it could be a physical, a, a health issue, it, it could be a, you know, a, a depression. There's all sorts of things that, 
that come, that come our way as human beings. And it is easy sometimes to stand back and to, to criticize, to stand back and say, well, if they wouldn't have done this, they wouldn't be like that. And the, the, but to come alongside and in our, in, our, in our humanity to realize we are all vulnerable. And, and that's one of the values of, you know, sometimes meeting in our smaller settings. Maybe it's in our different home fellowship groups or Bible studies or friendships, meeting for coffee. You know, it's difficult in a setting like this to necessarily share. I had you greet in one another, and that's great. And that's what we're, you know, but each setting has this different place. And there are times where you need to be in a setting where you can be vulnerable, where you can share. And, when, and, and you need to have people in your life who you know are not going to criticize you, but they're going to come alongside and, and be sympathetic. And that's how the, 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 the believers are supposed to act. And Peter says, listen, and this, this is a difficult situation. There's persecution going on. There's hardship. There are challenges, great challenges. I mean, I think, when I think of this, these, these early churches in this first century, and I think of the dynamics. I've just mentioned a few, but think of the other dynamics. Think of these dynamics of these fellowships where you've got Orthodox Jews. You may know some Orthodox Jews and how they practice. And you've got these pagans from these Gentile background, people who wouldn't even go in each other's house. Remember Peter and Cornelius? Peter, an apostle, the same guy who's writing this in the book of Acts where the Lord had to grab him and shake him, basically, no, if I say you go to his house, you go to his house. But Lord, you know I've never done this. They wouldn't even go in each other's homes. Think of the dynamics, and they all of a sudden they're thrown together in a fellowship. And the challenges, and how that, if it hadn't been for the power of the Holy Spirit, how could it ever have survived? And so Peter says, as, as Paul tells the brothers and sisters as well, live in harmony. Be sympathetic to one another. And listen, if, someone, if God has put somebody on your heart today who, who you know is, is having some challenges and some struggles, and if God prompts you, if there's nothing weird about this, if God prompts you to come alongside, if God prompts you to pick up the phone and call, or to write a note, or an email, or to go visit them, if God prompts you to do that, do it. Because God may be calling you especially to come alongside, and you will need that sometime, and someone's going to do that for you. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. And I wanted to emphasize the brother part of this here. And this word for love here, Philadelphia, phileo, philos, is a very strong word. Yeah, sometimes we've categorized these, you know, but, and we sometimes misrepresent this word. It's a very strong word. It's a word that was very intense and very deep, along with agape, which sort of became a uniquely Christian word, even though it was in the Greek vocabulary, it was very uniquely applied by the Christian church. But they are to come alongside and to love. Be compassionate. This is a word that is related in the Greek to your, to, um, your stomach. And that's, wh that's why in the King James and some of the passages you'll see bowels of mercy. You know, we generally wouldn't talk that way today, Right. I mean, you wouldn't tell someone, boy, I have bowels of mercy for you. <laughs> you know, they look at you like, what? You know, what? Are you sick or what? You know, I mean, but, but that's where, it, but the reason it comes from that is because the word is related to your, this part of your, and think about it. When some, if, if, if you were driving home today and something happened and you almost got in an accident, I don't know about you, but where do you feel it? First you feel it here, right? But then don't you feel it here? You feel this kind of, whoa, you know, there's just your, 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 your body reacts and you feel it. Or, or if you are really, really stressed or upset 
or in a high-tension situation. That's why you feel it here. It's this idea of feelings. That's where it comes from. And he says here to, to these people, listen, have feelings for one another. Have feelings for one another. Don't be so stoic. Now, we're all, you know, one thing about it, we're, we're all different in terms of how we express. I'm not, you know, I'm not, as ex, I'm not as expressive as some people. Other people are very expressive. We're all different. But that's not, that's not the factor here. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the heart of how you feel towards someone. You can, you can be a non-expressive person and, and, uh, and look like the, you know, the rock of Gibraltar that never alters, you know, and still have that feeling for people. And you can be the kind of person where your feelings are right there and everybody knows what you're feeling right away. Be sympathetic to one another. And then finally, the last one in this category, this list here, is the, 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 the NIV uses the word humble. It's one of the words for humble. Uh, it might be better translated to be modest. It's interesting that the, the Christian church and in, in both all the apostles, John, Peter, Paul, that, and, and then James, uh, you know, in the epistles, both the Pauline and the general epistles, this, along with the Gospels, of course, this idea keeps coming over and over and over and over again, along with the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms, of humility. 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 Humbleness. Don't you like being around people that are humble? It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean you have no strength of character. And in fact, in the Roman world, it is interesting. This character trait of humbleness or humility was not elevated at all. I should say the Greco-Roman world. Because the Greek, the Greek culture controlled a lot of what we talk about in the Roman world. This idea of humbleness was not elevated. And in fact, there are uh, quotes from Greek literature. The, world, the word Bible commentary had a, a quote on this one. And the author that I use, very, it's a very scholarly type work. And, it, and it, it talks about and it quotes that this word is actually used in sometimes as, as a very negative, as a vice, as something bad to be this way, to be someone who is modest about how you, how you rate according to everything else, someone who's humble, that that's a bad character trait. Christianity uniquely in this world elevated this trait as to something of an ideal, really, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was God himself, became a man and gave himself and became the servant leader for us and gave himself for our sins. So I just want to remind you, friends, in this household of believers, which we are today, this is how we are to live. This is how we are to be, this is how we are to be known as a, a group of people who, who, who live in... We're not perfect, we're not looking for perfection here because it's not going to happen. But these are ideals. These are goals. And there's nothing wrong with putting those out there and saying, this is what God has called us to. And listen, I, as I've mentioned many times, and I'll mention again today, and believe me, when I, when I tell you this, I'm never talking to you. I'm talking to us. I'm not the pastor, you know, like that. I'm talking to us. And these things need to happen in our families first. If you can't do this with the people you're closest to, how are you going to do it with the next circles of people? It's the people that we're closest to, we're in closest contact with, where it's oftentimes difficult to do these things. And I want to remind you that in, in your family, whatever, whatever your family is, 
whatever your family situation is, or whatever the people you're closest with, you may be single here today and live by yourself, whoever you're closest with, these are the people that, that this should happen with first. Harmony, sympathy, love as brothers and sisters, true brothers and sisters, compassion, feelings, genuine feelings of, of, of empathy for people and compassion for them, and humbleness. Simply, humbleness means the other person is more important than you. Simply put, their needs, what's best for them, is the most important. Humbleness. And so, as Peter wraps this up, and, then he, and, he's, and he says here, and he's going to go to the Old Testament, but he, notice in verse 9, and I want, you, I want you to notice this context too, please. I want you to notice verse 9, that in this context, it appears to still be talking to the family. Because it's in the very context, he doesn't make any switch here, he just says in the next breath, do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because you were called so you may inherit a blessing. Then he'll go to an Old Testament, Psalm 34, which actually sort of pervades 1 Peter. If you were to take time and read Psalm 34, which I encourage you to do, and then read 1 Peter, you will see several themes connected to Psalm 34 in 1 Peter. But this is written to the family as well. And so not only are these positive qualities given to us, there are some negative qualities that we are to avoid. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. This is our human nature. Again, I'm talking to myself. This is my human nature. When someone does us evil or wrong, our human nature is, well, I'll show you, and to show them evil or wrong. That's our human nature. And this happens in the fellowship. This happens in a church. This happens among brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. This can happen among Christians in the workplace who come from different church families, but they are together, I mean, in neighborhoods, in, in extended families. And he says, listen, be careful. Don't do this. And in fact, he, he uses words here that are, that are identical to what Paul uses in Romans 12. It's an identical phrase. Don't repay evil with evil. And don't repay insult with insult. I mean, come on, isn't that our human nature when somebody insults us? Isn't, I don't know about you, but isn't your response to react? Isn't that your first response to react and, and to repay that insult? That's just part of our nature. Well, yeah, but what about you? What about what you said? What about what you did? How can you criticize me? Peter says, don't do that. And it's, but look what he says. It's not only what you don't do, it's what you do. Because notice what he says to replace it with. This is the one thing about God's word. God's word doesn't just tell us what not to do. God tells us what to do. And notice what he says to do here. He says, but instead, repay the insult with a blessing. This is a proactive act on your part. This is the word, the same word that's used to bless God. This is the word we get a eulogy from. When someone comes up in a memorial service and gives a eulogy, they are giving a blessing or a, or a, or a positive talk about someone's characters, character qualities. This is where we get the word from, and it's used to bless God. Now listen, friends, we are, we are not called simply to be silent when we're insulted, when we're criticized unfairly, when somebody is mean to us. We are not simply called to just deal with it and take it and be silent. Peter says, but instead, ask God's blessing on them. That's the hard part. 
It's one thing to say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and not say anything. But if they're a brother or a sister, while they are insulting you, are you still willing to seek their best? That's difficult. That's hard. But this is what Peter calls these people to. And this is what the Apostle Paul calls us to in Romans 12 as well. And we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to do this. And I want to encourage you, if there's a person in your life today who you're having a hard time with, and it's a believer, it may be a family member, it may be a neighbor, it may be a friend, it may be in this congregation. Again, we're just a congregation like everybody else. I'm not saying this because this is a problem in our church. This is, we're human. And if, if there's any reason why you don't talk to somebody, if there's somebody in, the, in a church family, whether it's here or whether it's in your workplace or whether it's in your family, and they are a brother or sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you just avoid them because you're just not going to talk to them, you shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. We should be proactive. We should be the ones to step forward and to ask God's blessing and to extend our heart and our hand to forgive as we have been forgiven. And you should do it first with those closest to you. This is what we are called to do. I want to jump over to really point three, and we'll close that middle passage here. But at the, very, at the, at the end of this section, hey, next week, um, if, you come, if you come next Sunday, some of you will be in Puerto Rico, but for those who can come, um, we're going to deal with this passage about uh, uh, Christ preaching to the spirits in prison, okay? I get a lot of questions about that, so I'll, I'll bring my opinion on that. I'll try and form one this week and, uh, <laughs> no, and uh, bring it to you. But no, that's a, diff, that's a challenging passage, and, and we're going to work through that next week. So if you come next week, we're going to work through that passage. Of, you know, we don't avoid any passage of Scripture, even if it's a challenge. Um, there's some wonderful things in that passage. But for today, where it concludes, look at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, generally, this is, this is kind of a proverbial statement. You know, if you're doing good, people aren't going to look to harm you. But they still do. And you notice he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right. So you may think you're going to avoid suffering by doing the right thing. But you know what, friends? The right thing at work might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a sale. It might cost a job. But it's the right thing to do. Okay? And so he says here, listen, if you do the right thing and you still could suffer for it, there's no guarantee you're not. If you do, you are blessed. You are blessed by God. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered for doing what is right. The apostles all suffered for doing what is right. The brothers and sisters in this first century, many of them lost their lives for doing what is right. Listen, we got, as I mentioned earlier today, we got, you got doctors from America Serving in a, in, a, in a place right now where it's very dangerous, they're doing what they're doing was right, but they're suffering for it. There's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that everything's going to be happy and perfect and fine. But you're blessed for it. You're doing what's right. And he says here, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now look at verse 15. A lot of us memorize this verse as, as children, I think. Um, we memorize this passage. It's a very well-known passage. In your hearts, set apart, or the word is sanctify. Sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now, I want to suggest to you that the transition here moves from, for the most part, with, within the family to outside the family. Not 100%. I mean, this can happen both ways. But this, I think the idea here is, is pretty clear. That if, and again, the context is suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context of 1 Peter chapter 2. I told you that controls this when it comes to finally. And in that, in that mix of suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, that, I think the, the, the sort of context here suggests that in that situation, there may be persecution. You may be asked, this may not just be a casual where someone says, hey, I've noticed that, I notice you, you pray at lunchtime, or I notice that uh, your family goes to church, or I notice it's important. Tell me about it. That's true. But in this context, this may as well be, um, listen, I want an accounting from you. What, do you. what do you mean you worship one true God? You don't worship our gods? What, what are you, an atheist? You know, the early Christians were actually accused of being atheists. Did you know that? You can read in early writings. They were accused of being atheists because they didn't have a God. Everybody else had a God. They had, they had an idol. They had a temple. They had physical things they could worship. Even the Jews had a temple, even though they didn't worship idols. What did the church have? There is nothing visible. There is nothing physical. There is nothing representative that shows a picture. The only thing would be the, the empty cross. And they were accused of being atheists. You don't have a God. You don't, you don't have a God. You have nothing. Give us an answer. And it could be in this context, especially of, of, of challenging and persecution, and that he says, give your apolo- apologetics. This is what the word apologetics comes from. It's the word used here, to give a reason. When you're asked to give an apologetic, apologetic does not mean to apologize in the sense that we normally use it. Normally, everyday language, if I say, well, I have to apologize for this, that means I made a mistake and I'm sorry. But the word means to explain. So it can be negative, but it also can be positive. And that's why we call uh, the study of Christian apologetics, that's why we use that word, to explain what we believe. And that's, you know, some of the, the writers and authors who've written books on that, they've been helpful to us. We've had classes on this to explain what we believe and, and, and understand it and the reason why we believe things. This is their apologetics. And he says, listen, be ready. But before you do, set Christ apart in your heart. You have to make a decision. You know, as Joshua said, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You decide what you're going to do. You have to set apart Christ in your heart. This is not talking about salvation here. This is to believers. This is to Christians. That we have to make that decision. You know, if, you, if you're going to wait until you're in the midst of it, it's probably going to be difficult and it may be too late. You have to decide, you have to decide what's important in your life. What's important in your life? Set apart, sanctify, set apart Jesus Christ in your heart so that this is important to you. This is a priority in your life. Set it apart. And then when you are challenged, and then when you are asked, when you are demanded by someone, and it may be your life may be at stake, as many of these believers may have actually faced in the years to come. Peter did. Paul did. They died for their faith. They had to make that decision. Make that decision. And when you are asked, when it's demanded of you, when you have to give an apologetic for your faith, be ready to do so. And you notice it says, when they ask of you. 
And every one of us, there are going to be times, maybe this week, where you may be asked. It may be in a very kind and a positive way. I notice this is important. Or could you please pray for me and, and say, well, you know, and have a chance to talk. Or it may be in a ridicule. It may be in a demanding way. Peter says, be ready. Be prepared. How do you get prepared? You make that a decision ahead of time that Christ is important to you and you set that apart in your life. And then you understand, which you, under, you should understand the gospel. You should be prepared to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. You know, your story, if you're a Christian, your story is an important part of that. It's not complicated. You should be prepared. You don't have to know all the answers. There's a wonderful verse in the Bible, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The revealed things belong to us. The secret things belong to God. There are things that I can't speak for God. There are things I can't explain. But there are things that have been revealed. And we should be prepared to talk about it. And, and, and you should be, this is why we have Bible teaching in our church. This is why we have Sunday school. This is why we have vacation Bible adventure. This is why we have Wednesday night clubs, small groups. This is why we, 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 we teach the Bible. Because we should be prepared. This is life and death for people. This is important. This is important. And Peter says, be prepared, but please, notice what he says. Notice what he says. If you're gonna, when you do this, respond with gentleness and respect. This is easy when someone comes to you and says, would you pray for me? I, I know you go to church. Could you? When someone demands of you, when someone demands of you and say, what do you mean? That's ridiculous. That is crazy. What, do you, what about all the people who have never heard? How can, you, how can a loving God do that? How can a loving God let these things happen that are happening in the world today? How can a loving God do that and demand you an answer? You can respond, but with gentleness and respect. You don't have to be bombastic. You don't have to win the argument. In fact, you don't even have to defend God. God can take care of himself. But God has called us to be ready, be prepared, to be kind, to be courteous, to be respectful, even of our enemies, even of those who are not being respectful of you. Peter says, this is what you are to do. This is what you are to do. That's great advice. And this is for us, I believe. This is for all people who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. This is great advice. Well, in closing, there's that section from Psalm 34. Whoever would love life, I'm kind of going backwards here, but verse 10. Whoever would love life and see good days. This is a proverbial statement. This is a proverbial statement. This, this is what it is. Um, you know, there have been people who have not lived long, long days who are very godly people. That's in God's hands. This is a proverbial statement. If you want to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. That's good advice. And your lips from deceitful speech. That's in the context that when someone curses you, you return it with a blessing. This is what we are to do. He must turn from evil and do good. You know, this is the idea of repentance. We talk about repentance. Repentance simply means to turn around. Turn from evil, do good. He must seek peace and chase after it, and pursue it. Listen, in, in, in the family of God, where we are to have harmony, and love, and compassion, and feelings, and, and modesty, humility, 
We are to seek peace. And listen, if, if there's something in, that you're aware of and you have a choice of either fueling the fire and make it, and be, if you're a critical, if you have a critical spirit in your heart, it, being like-minded doesn't mean we have, all have to agree on everything. But, if, but, it, but we are to think together. We are to be like-minded. And if you have a critical spirit, he says, no, no, seek peace and pursue it. Go after it. Go after it. This is what we are called to do. Seek peace and pursue it. For the, I want to close with this. For the, uh, finally, right? <laughs> finally. In the spirit of Peter, finally. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we were on our vacation a couple weeks ago, our five-year-old granddaughter, Sadie, down in California, Texas, um, where? Arizona, somewhere down there where it's hot, <laughs> desert. Um, I don't know where she learned it. It must have been in preschool, I think, in a Christian preschool she goes to, but she learned the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. And she sang it for us in a rather deep voice, <laughs> okay? Um, and uh, I, re- I remember that song. My mom loved that song, George Beverly Shea. Uh, Ethel Waters, this was the song, some of you remember Ethel Waters, this is the song that she titled her biography, her autobiography, His Eyes on the Sparrow. And I was, I was, I was drawn to this, this verse in Matthew. And if you take time to read Matthew 10, it is in the context, Matthew 10 is in the context of Jesus telling his disciples, Peter among them, they are going to face Persecution. Be prepared. You are going to be persecuted. And it's in that context where Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? This, it came from the, you know, the English penny. So whether it was an actual cent, very little money. Whatever you got, change in your pocket, okay? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, I thought about, thought about this. This is one of those verses that we know very well. We know it. It's one that is, it almost can sound trite because it's so familiar. They can go right past this because we've heard it so many times. And as you leave today, I would just ask this. And I ask myself too. Would you really think about that? Do we really, do I, do I really, really believe that? You know how many sparrows there are in the world and whether it means every time one lands to the ground, but in the context of persecution, it may have to do with when they fall to their death, when they die. I don't generally see sparrows fall to their death, but they do die. And, and you know, there was, a, there, was actually a rabbinical, there was actually a rabbinical statement from Midrash Koheleth that, that said this, without God, without God, a bird does not fly away, much less... Oh, without God, man does not fly away, much less the soul of a bird. 
I want you to think about that. Today, throughout the world, of all the things that are going on in the world, not one sparrow, the least significant of the birds, is going to fall to the ground that God is, not, is outside of God's will. It is in part of God's will. And then to stop and think, every hair on your head and every person in the world and every person that has lived, God, know, why does God know how many hair on your head? What is that, what, what's that about? The, the point is, God is so much bigger. He is so much more powerful. He is so much more sovereign than we will ever, ever appreciate. That Jesus says, listen, don't you know that every possible detail about your life, including the physical hairs on your heads, <laughs> God is numbered. And even the insignificant birds do not fall outside of his will. Therefore, how much more for those of you that belong to him does God care about? Whatever is on your heart today, my friends, whatever, is your, whatever you think about the most, whatever maybe brings you the most fear, whatever brings you the most concern, God already knows. It's already worked out. He knows exactly how it's going to work out. Everything. His eye, and so, of course, the song that we, we've, we've grown up with, his eye is on the sparrow. Early in the spring of 1905, Crivilla Martin and her, doctor, her husband, who was a doctor, were in Elmira, New York. And they made a friendship with a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, True saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nearly 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself back and forth in his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy lives, Christian lives. They brought inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. And one day while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and he asked them for their secret to this. And Mrs. Doolittle was simple. And she just simply said this, his eyes on the sparrow, and he know he, I know he watches me. And the beauty of that simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts, fired the imagination, and they went home, and she wrote this hymn. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches you and me. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we know too that this group, each one of them, will be completely in your care on this trip. And Lord, they have, they have set apart the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts to, to, to give this time of their summer uh, and, and to go to Puerto Rico. And Lord, it's exciting to travel. It's fun to be together, but it's also hard work. And there will be challenges. There will be difficulties. And Lord, we pray for this group as they go, that they will exhibit to the people that they minister to the things we've talked about today, that there will be harmony, that there will be humbleness in putting others first. There will be compassion first for each other and then for those that they are working with. They will be sympathetic 
have genuine feelings uh, for the ministry in Puerto Rico. And Father, if they are asked to give an answer for the faith that they have, that they will be prepared to give that answer. And they will go, Lord, knowing that you are watching over them, that you are watching over us, and we go with them in our prayers, our encouragement, our support, and we thank you. Lord, I just want to thank you as pastor of this church. What a privilege, what a privilege to have had a part in the lives of each person up here, and we put them in your care. We dedicate them to you. In Christ, our Savior's name, all of God's family can say together, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming up, you guys. And we will see you in a couple weeks, safe and sound, from Puerto Rico, even Matt. All right, good. All right, you are dismissed. Thank you.